Today's version of Money Wise Live is pre-recorded, so our phone lines are not open. Ask not what your finances will do to you in 2023. Ask what you will do with your finances. Hi, I'm Rob West. Okay, that's a play on a famous JFK quote, but I think it describes the need to take a proactive role with your finances in the new year coming up. Mark Biller joins us today to tell us how to do that. Then we have some great questions lined up for you. But don't call in today because we're pre-recorded. This is Money Wise Live, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, our friend Mark Biller is executive editor at Sound Mind Investing, where they've been busy coming up with their annual list of financial moves you can make in the new year. Mark, great to have you back on the program. Thanks, Rob. Good to be back with you. Mark, this is a great resource that you all post every year to help folks improve their financial picture. Uh, It's titled, of course, Your 10 Most Important Financial Moves for 2023, and folks can access it at soundmindinvesting.org. But it's not just a list of 10 things, is it? No, it's really a roundup of planning suggestions for the year ahead. And rather than providing a one-size-fits-all kind of list, instead we go ahead and serve up a broad range of ideas. And the idea there really is for the reader then to go through that list and pick their own personal top ten. And that you know will come from the 70 or so suggestions that we discuss in that article, but it makes it very tailored to each individual. And we've found over the years that people who are willing to do that and go through that exercise and then follow through on those specific items, really, it it helps them become a better steward of their resources and helps them move closer to their long term goals. Yeah, that's helpful. All right. Well, you had these suggestions broken down into several categories. So let's go over them and perhaps you can give us an idea of what to expect in each. Uh, Mark, let's start with spiritual and financial fundamentals. Yeah, sounds good. And as we dive in, I should also note that there are links to additional articles and resources for each one of these suggestions on the SMI website. So if listeners hear something that they want more information on or they want to dig deeper on a particular topic, that's the best way to do it. Great. So diving right in, Rob, here are a few of the spiritual and financial fundamentals on the list. First and foremost, we've got acknowledge God as the Lord of your finances. Mm. And that's really the starting point of Christian stewardship and an important ongoing aspect of a deepening relationship with Christ. Second in that section, we've got make a plan for your financial journey. You know, on these programs together, we frequently discuss the need to develop a biblically sound, personalized money management strategy that will inform your spending, your saving, your investing, and your generosity. And then a third one from that section, Rob, is to resist financial temptations. You know, handling money well takes more than just learning the rules of good financial management. You've also got to practice and develop self-control. Now, thankfully, self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So as we draw closer to the Lord, that fruit should become increasingly manifest in our lives. Yeah, that's really helpful, Mark, and a great place to start. All right, the next category of financial moves is strengthening your financial foundation. What do you have for us there? 
Yeah, so this section is all about making sure that that foundation is fully in place. And if it isn't, this really is the place for people to concentrate their efforts in the year ahead. So a few suggestions here. First, take advantage of the world's most effective personal finance tool, and that is a budget. Now, that may be unpopular, but a well-planned and well-executed budget really is the single best tool available for effective money management. Now, one new one to the list this year is to comparison shop for higher interest rates on your savings. Mm. Um, Over this last year, interest rates have moved from near zero a year ago to the four plus percent range today. So moving your money to a savings account, maybe at an online bank, uh, can meaningfully move the needle on the amount of interest a person can earn. And then kind of in that same vein, we've talked a number of times over the last year uh, about putting some of your savings in U.S. government I-bonds. I-bonds are paying inflation-adjusted rates that are well above most other bonds and other savings options. Now, they do have some restrictions, but very attractive in the right circumstances. Mark Biller is with us today. We're talking about their annual list of financial moves for 2023. Much more to come just around the corner. Stick around. Thanks for joining us on MoneyWise Live. I'm Rob West. Joining me today, my friend Mark Biller, Executive Editor at SoundMind Investing. You can learn more at soundmindinvesting.org. What if you had a top 10 list that was uniquely for you and your financial situation to make important moves for 2023 and really shore up your financial foundation and your role as a steward? Well, that's what SoundMind Investing has made available from 70 or more suggestions, you can handpick your top 10 financial moves for 2023 in some key categories. Uh, Just before the break, we talked about category one, spiritual and financial fundamentals. The second one we talked about was strengthening your financial foundation. Uh, Mark, the third category is developing an investing plan. Uh, What do you have for us there? Yeah, no surprise. We've got a lot in this section. We've got 26 different suggestions in this this area. But the most important big idea here is Scripture encourages us to prepare for the needs of tomorrow without becoming hoarders. So all of these suggestions can help you invest as a faithful steward who acts with prudence and wisdom. So the first idea in this section is to identify obstacles that are holding you back from saving for retirement and start moving those out of the way. So some common roadblocks would be auto loans, expensive housing, generally poor money management, But honestly, Rob, often the biggest obstacle is just not having a financial plan or any measurable goals. And that's really the whole point of this top 10 list idea is to identify some of these key goals and then get to work. So the second idea in this section would be to get familiar with the foundational biblical precepts related to investing. 
Um, the Bible offers lots of timeless principles related to investing and managing our wealth. And by studying those and allowing those to become part of your thinking, you'll begin to be able to apply those ideas to the investing decisions that you face. Uh, last one from this, this group is an SMI hallmark, and that's to become a better investor by using an inside-out approach. Now, Rob, you and I did a whole program on this a couple months ago, yeah. so listeners may want to dig that one out of the archives for more information. But the big idea here is to make investment decisions based on your personal inside-out needs rather than on the outside-in expert opinions and market news. Yeah, that's really helpful. And then, Mark, as we build on this investing topic, I know you all have an entire section just on broadening your portfolio. Uh, What would you have our listeners know there? Yeah, so this section is more for those who are becoming an experienced investor, and they're looking to broaden their portfolio either to reduce risk or take advantage of market conditions. So a few examples from this section would be learning about investments beyond stocks and bonds. You know, we just had the worst year for a traditional 60-40 stock bond portfolio in about the last five decades. Now, fortunately, there are some other options available. And learning about things like commodities, real estate, gold, just to name a few, that can really help add some additional diversification to a core portfolio. Now, on a similar note, uh, learning about some easy ways to hedge market downside may be worthwhile for some folks. Uh, SMI has discussed several of those techniques and products this year. And then a final one would be... um, You know, you might have to grapple with this whether or not you go through our list, but it's to understand some of the new investment options that are coming to a lot of employer-based retirement accounts. Now, I have to warn you, not all of these are necessarily good options, so it's really important to be informed about some of this new stuff coming down the pike. Yeah, that's exactly right. This is really helpful, Mark. Now, of course, no top 10 list in terms of financial moves would be complete without thinking about retirement. And I know looking toward retirement is our next category. Yeah, and this section has ideas like taking advantage of the current bear market in stocks to convert traditional IRA money to a Roth IRA. You know, with investment account values down a lot this year for some people, it can be an attractive time to consider a traditional to Roth conversion Mm. so that you can have more tax-free income down the road in retirement. Now, another example from this section would be assessing how much money you'll need to maintain your standard of living in retirement. We've got some helpful pointers on how to do that, how to look at that whole uh, situation for those that have that life transition on the horizon. Yeah, great. Uh, Mark, you, of course, have a ton of suggestions in, let's call it your miscellaneous section. It covers (laughs) children and college and insurance and a whole lot more. So I want folks to check that out when they read this article at soundmindinvesting.org. But I'd like to skip to what you call the most important section of all. What is it? 
Yeah, that's your relationship with God, Rob. There's there's just no substitute here uh, for this one. And first and foremost, the way that you improve that relationship with the Lord is to invest time in it. You know, the most important goal of a Christian steward is to know Jesus. He's the one who is the pearl of great price. And valuing your relationship and your communion with him above your wealth and investments is really a key cornerstone to keeping all this financial stuff in perspective. And then one last parting thought as we kind of wrap up what's been a a tough financial year for a lot of people. I would just say that if we trust in Jesus and bring our concerns to him, Christ will deliver us through the difficulties of life. You know, we can live in hope because we serve a God who's too strong to lose control of any situation. He's too wise to make mistakes and he's too loving to ever abandon us. Mm, Well, what a great reminder for us today. Mark, as we head into this new year, of course, uh, learning and growing in our understanding of biblical stewardship is so key. And uh, I've been so encouraged over the years through my own subscription to the SMI newsletter. I'd love for you just to share with our listeners quickly what that is and what they would get if they signed up. Yeah. Well, the newsletter membership, um, we have an actual physical newsletter that goes out every month. And then we also have an online membership where we're writing content constantly throughout the month. What we're trying to do is both educate folks. So we have a lot of folks who come in maybe not knowing a whole lot about investing. And then we've got folks all the way at the other end of the spectrum who know quite a bit about investing. But for all those folks, we're trying to educate Uh, help people understand the investing world and landscape. And then on top of that, we're putting together very practical, tangible um, counsel on what they need to do in their own portfolios so they can follow along with us with our model portfolios. Excellent. And it's written by a team of writers, including Mark Biller, that really all want to bring you godly and biblical counsel so you can be a wise steward of your resources. Well, Mark, thanks for stopping by today with some great ideas for improving our finances in 2023. Mark, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you. Thank you, Rob. Always my pleasure. That's Mark Biller, executive editor at Sound Mind Investing. We really just scratched the surface on what's in their terrific article, Your 10 Most Important Financial Moves for 2023. You can read the full article at soundmindinvesting.org. Hey, we're going to pause for a brief break. We'll be back with much more. Stay with us. You're listening to MoneyWise Live, and you can find us online at moneywiselive.org. However, today we're not live, so if you hear that phone number, please don't call. But do stay with us. There's lots of great information ahead. Back to the phones we go to Oregon. Betty, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. I have a, a, a tax slash social security question. Um, last year, I converted some traditional, in 2021 tax year, I converted some traditional IRA to Roth. Um, and so I had to pay the taxes on that, obviously. But then when I got the letter from Social Security saying what my benefits would be for 2023, they um, in- included all that amount as um, like it's regular income. It was a one-time occurrence. So 
I know there's some kind of a form that you can file, but I don't remember uh, the the name of the form or a number of the form and, and to whom I file it to because I need to get that corrected because they're thinking I'm going to be making that much more and I'm not with a conversion issue. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about that. I mean, you can always reach out to the uh, Social Security Administration at ssa.gov and schedule an appointment just to understand the calculation and perhaps talk through things. But they're basing their estimates on your, uh, you know, high 35, your 35 highest years of earnings. Um, and it's a look back and they're estimating it based on that amount. So uh, did you uh, did you do that conversion in this tax year or last year? In 2021. And, and sir, I've been receiving Social Security for this year, but this is the new amount that they're projecting you know, given the increase that everybody's getting, the 8.7 percent. Yeah. And in that calculation, they included it. It said based on your 2021 IRS tax return, they're increasing my Medicare Part B, uh, uh, Irma, and my Part D. And it's all based on that 2021 filing, which included the conversion I see. to the tune of 93K. And I don't have... I'm not making an extra 93K. That was a one-time occurrence yes, is, the, yeah. is the thing. And so I, I need you. that corrected. Yeah. yeah, I follow you. I would reach out directly to the Social Security Administration. You can schedule either a virtual or in-person meeting just to explain what you're describing here to me as to this one-time occurrence. Um, you know, it, it certainly is uh, added to your taxable income for the year, and, uh, you know, that could be factored in. So I'm not uh, aware of the specific form or process for making them aware of this one-time event. Um, have you reached out to them to try to have a phone call or schedule a meeting? No, not yet. I was going to um, hopefully get the form number um, from you, but I will reach out to them directly and and so that they know that, that they're basing their data on on something that happened, a one-time occurrence. And when when I did that, I was told um, by my tax preparer, it will affect your IRMA, and I fully um, expected that. But they said you can counter that by filing a form saying it's a one-time occurrence. It's not like I'm all of a sudden making that much more money, income. I'm not. Yes. So, um, yeah, it makes total sense. I, I'm following you now, but I would reach out to them directly. Unfortunately, I'm not uh, familiar with the actual form number that you would file, but I am tracking with you, and I think it will be fairly simple to clear up. The biggest challenge you might have is just actually getting through and getting that appointment scheduled. They're very backlogged these days and still playing catch up from the pandemic. So just uh, be diligent in your efforts to uh, make contact, but I'm confident you can get get the information you need and get it squared away. Betty, we appreciate your call today. God bless you. Uh, we're going to head to Joe in Kansas City. Joe, how can we help you? Thanks for taking my call. I retired four years ago. Um, I'm now 71. And uh, at that time, I began receiving a pension, a small uh, pension monthly from a company that I worked for early in my career for 15 years. Now they're dissolving the pension plan, and I have to decide between a lump sum payment, which will entail paying 20% taxes, or 
take an annuity from a yet-to-be-determined insurance company. They said that it'll probably be two more months before they will know which company, so I don't know the solvency of that company. So I wanted to see what your recommendation was. Yeah, and how long do you have to make this decision, Joe? Um, I have to let them know by December 2nd. Okay, so you won't have the information on the annuity prior to making that decision? Correct, and I did ask in the the company meeting that they had, I did ask about that and said that it felt like it was we were being asked to make a decision without full disclosure, and they didn't respond. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, So you don't know what the annuitized amount would be if you elected the annuity option? Well, they're telling everybody that it will be the same amount monthly that we are getting now. I see. It's supposed, our pension was supposed to be for life, and I think that's everybody's question is the solvency of the company for the rest of our lives. Yes. And what is the amount you're receiving now monthly? Um, after taxes, I get about $500. Okay. And what are they offering you in terms of a lump sum payout? About seventy. Okay, and that's before tax, is that oh, right? Oh, I'm seventy thousand. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's say you were to have uh, fifty six thousand, um, and we were to pull four uh, percent a year out of that, uh, and you were to invest it. You know, you'd only end up with about one hundred and eighty six dollars a month. Now, you it would still have your principal intact, where in this case, you're giving that up. Um, in exchange for five hundred dollars for life, and I assume that's on your life only and doesn't extend beyond that. Was that communicated to you? Yeah, correct. I just okay. have this, the single plan. Yeah. So if you wanted to go from one hundred eighty-six a month on that fifty-six thousand after tax up to five hundred, you'd start eating into the principal. Um, and, you know, you just have to recognize that, but at least you'd have access to the money. Are you really counting on this 500 a month right now? You know what? Let me ask you to do this. I've got to hit a quick break, but I want to continue to process this just a bit more. So if you'll stay on the line, we'll do it just on the other side of this break. Joe, you stay right there and we'll be right back on Money Wise. Welcome back to Money Wise Live. I'm Rob West, your host. We are not live today. We actually have the day off, uh, so don't call in. But we do have some great calls all lined up for you to enjoy. And just before the break, we were talking to Joe in Kansas City. She's been receiving a pension from a former employer for quite some time to the tune of $500 a month. She's been notified that she has the option either to roll it out to an annuity that would continue at that same level of monthly annuitized payments for the rest of her life or uh, receive a lump sum to the tune of about $70,000 before taxes. She's trying to determine before the end of the year which decision she'll make, and they say that uh, she won't know which insurance company will be providing the annuity uh, prior to the decision. Uh, Joe, I, I think my only concern, as much as I love to 
for you to have control of this money and take the lump sum is that, uh, you know, if you look at the amount you're getting, 70000 minus taxes, let's say you end up with about 56 Thousand. If you continued pulling that five hundred a month, that's about eleven percent a year, uh, which means that in ten to eleven years, if it were invested conservatively, you would probably have exhausted that full amount, even if you were earning four or five percent a year on it. Um, and so that money would be gone in that period of time, and then you know you lose your income source at that point versus uh, being able to count on this five hundred a month. And I realize there's some degree of uncertainty about that, but uh, you know the insurance company failing is very low in terms of risk, just given the other safeguards and safety nets that are in place uh, to protect that. Uh, so if you're counting on that five hundred a month to really meet your monthly expenses, and this isn't just surplus, is probably given the amount uh, and the length of time before you would run out of that money. It's probably a little safer to at least know that if the Lord were to tarry and you're in good health and you live, you know, another couple of decades that uh, you'd have that income to count on. Do you follow? Yes, I do. And and that makes sense. What I've done the last four years is I've just used that pension money to go into an online savings. And I've used that as my emergency fund to build up the emergency fund and to handle major expenses because I had a move and okay. had to buy a house and stuff. So now that I've um, kind of settled in with all of that stuff, I just made the decision before no- being notified about the pension to um, back off of my IRA distribution, leave that in the investments, um, and to start using the $500 pension more as a live-on um so that I'm saving the IRA investment. I see. Yeah, especially now while this market's down. Well, I think that's something to consider, you know, as you look at your overall strategy, because if this truly was surplus, uh, then you'd have the option to take that lump sum, pay the tax, and then just let that sit there and continue to grow on a conservative basis, uh, which gives you the opportunity to tap a larger amount if you needed it for some unexpected event or a medical event, something like that, uh, as long as you're not depending on it. But if you are depending on it, you know, to cover a portion of your expenses, then I think that's where it's a little less risky to say, okay, at least I have this guaranteed payment for the rest of my life that helps me meet my obligations, and I don't have to worry about that running out. I think that really is the decision point. As much as I'd like for you to have the lump sum and kind of be in control of it, um, you know, it, it really does come down to just your peace of mind and your ability to, you know, fund your expenses if you were to live, you know, to age 95 or beyond. You follow? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do. I, uh, yeah. These are all really good points. Okay, very good. Well, listen, uh, I would ask the Lord to give you some wisdom on that. If you want an advisor to just kind of look at the the whole thing, Joe, and you don't have one, you could reach out to a certified kingdom advisor there in Kansas City, perhaps just pay for a few hours of their time to help you do some planning, to look at your IRA, look at the investments that you have, look at this annuity option, perhaps help you kind of put a financial plan together uh, across all of it, even if you continued on the track that you're on and you didn't need somebody to 
to manage any of this money for you. Uh, just doing some planning between now and the end of the year, I think, would be time well spent and perhaps give you a little more peace of mind as you're making this final decision. Uh, you just head to our website. Again, if you don't already have someone, uh, just click Find a CKA when you visit moneywise.org. Uh, you can find, you know, several there in Kansas City, find the one that you think is the best fit. And that wise counsel may be just what you're looking for at this point if you don't have clarity on where to go from here. We appreciate you checking with us, though, Joe. God bless you. Uh, To Virginia. Hi, Ashley. How can we help you? Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just have a quick question about a home equity loan. I don't know how they work. I don't know what you know, kind of credit score or anything is is required for them. But my question is, would it be wise or not wise to get a home equity loan at a lower interest rate to pay off a couple of higher interest rate debts? Yeah, and these my are goal credit would be cards. To save money monthly and to save money long term. To sure. uh, no, they're not credit cards. One is a personal loan um, that we used for some home improvements that we had to do. And one is actually a vehicle loan. We're self-employed. My husband's a contractor, and he needed a vehicle. And at the time, with the, it was after the recession, and our um, we had taken a hit, and so our credit wasn't all that great. Sure. So the the loan, the uh, interest rate is higher than we would like for it to be, but we were stuck. He had to have a vehicle in order to be able to work. So yeah, at the has time, that credit score improved since then, Ashley? It has improved. We're probably both. It's not great still, but we're working on it. We're mid-sixes. Okay. All right. And what is the interest rate on the vehicle loan? It's high. It's over 20%. Oh, yeah. Okay. And uh, what about that personal loan? Um, it's 17-ish maybe. Okay. And is it collateralized by the house? No. Okay. Um, and have you... Uh, what is the balance on that personal loan at this point? The balance on both of them together is around less than 20000 Okay. And how much are you putting toward it? Just the minimums? Do you know how quickly you'll have them paid off? If no, you we pay both. We pay extra on both of them. Okay. Um, we're, I'm really working on, on paying more every month yeah. on both of these loans to try to get them paid off sooner and to pay less, you know, overall on the sure. total of payments. Yeah, what do you project it'll take if you're realistic about the payback? Do you think it'll take three years? Hopefully less than that. I mean, okay. I would hope that I could do it in less than that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really just good. going I mean, to... You know, we're making money, you know, now, but I just, yeah. I'm trying yeah. to think of, you know, the interest. Yeah. It's just painful to pay those high interest rates. Yeah, sure. No, I mean, those are, those are uh, very, very high. Uh, you know, you certainly could look at a home equity loan. I think the key is going to be, number one, I don't want you to string this out a lot longer. The tendency would be to get a loan and kind of push the repayment period out, which even though you're bringing the interest rate down may cause you to end up spending more in the long run. If you're committed to sending more every month and staying at that current payback, then it just becomes a math equation. And the question would be, can you, with your current credit score, get it down low enough on the interest rate that after the expenses of the home equity loan, you come out ahead. We just need to do that math and figure that out. Let's talk a bit more off the air and we'll be right back. It's great to have you with us on MoneyWise Live today, but unfortunately, today we're not live. We're pre-recorded and therefore won't be taking your calls. However, we've lined up some calls in advance that we think you'll find helpful. So stay tuned and enjoy the rest of the program. 
Welcome back to Money Wise Live. I had the chance to talk a bit more with Ashley off the air, and she's going to look at uh, what the total expenses would be of a home equity loan uh, at bankrate.com in terms of the actual terms she could receive with her husband and her credit score being a bit low still, even though it's coming up, to determine what are we going to pay to get this home equity loan. And given our current payback trajectory, even at a slightly lower rate from the current rates we have, how much total outlay are we going to have? And then compare that to the amount of interest she'll spend over the next two to three years on the current payback plan and just see at the end of the day, which is going to be more cost effective. The other consideration is just currently those loans are one's personally guaranteed, but no collateral. The others collateralized by the car and we're moving that to the house. So if there was a major disruption in pay and there was a default, now all of a sudden we're putting our house at risk. So given that extra risk, we better have a pretty significant payoff in the end uh, you know, to make that worthwhile. So she's going to look at all of that and then uh, make that decision. All right, back to the phones here in our final segment today. Let's head to Indiana. Pam, you're next on the program. Go ahead. Um, yes, sir. I was calling to um, ask a question. I um, sold my home um, in North Carolina last year. And um, of course, we didn't have a mortgage. We had paid off our mortgage. So um, we had all that money left. And then it took us eight months to find a home in Indiana. And we have purchased another home. Do I need to use any of that uh, money that we got from the other, the sale of the other home on my taxes? Yeah, so this was your primary residence that you sold last year, is that right? That is correct, yes. Okay. We lived there um, 27 years. Okay, and do you know what the gain was? Uh, you know, you take the selling price minus the original purchase price minus any improvements and transaction costs to sell it. Uh, it would be kind of a, do you have a rough idea of what the profit was? Um, Probably about half of what I got, yes. Sir. Okay, which would be about how much? Mm, let's see, about 40000 Okay, yeah. So the good news is if it was your primary residence that you lived in two out of the last five years, and it sounded like you lived there a lot longer than that, you would exclude up to a half a million dollars if you're uh, married filing jointly, uh, up to a half a million dollars of the gain of your sale would be excluded. So if you had 40000 or anything you know, beyond that, up to a half a million, uh, you would not have any capital gain whatsoever, which means you'd keep 100% of that gain and you can do whatever you want with it. You don't have to redeploy it into another house, although you can, uh, but there is no right. taxes that you would have to pay. All right, and that's up to a half a million. That is good to know. Yes, we'll take it, right? (laughs) Exactly. All right, well, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. You all do a great job. Well, thank you, Pam. God bless you, and thanks for checking in with us today. We appreciate it. Now let's go to Arkansas. Patty, how can I help you? Yes. Hey, Rob. Okay, I sold my primary residence, and uh, I realized $357,000. I know the IRS will let me take a 250000 off of that before uh, show capital gains, which will be like $107,000. So yeah. if I take that and add it with my adjusted gross income, I'm still I'm at like $119,000 which is going to make me have 22500 for federal and state 6400 So we're looking at $29,000. So 
um, on my capital gains. I'm 66, and I really um, don't want to pay that much. I would rather put that somewhere else. I mean, is there, at my age, can I still do like a Roth IRA, a health savings account, Timothy Fund, or what can I do? Yes. Well, uh, keep in mind, this won't be added to your taxable income for the year. Uh, So basically, you will likely have a 15% uh, long-term capital gain on that portion that's over and above uh, your uh, allotted exclusion of 250000 So you file a single, is that correct? Yes. Okay. And so if you have income between 41,600 and 459,000 in income, not the gain, just your taxable income, your adjusted gross income, then you'll pay a 15% long-term capital gain flat uh rate on that additional amount over and above a quarter of a million dollars. Is that the percentage you were using or were you calculating it another way? No, 15%, but you're okay. saying I don't add the capital gains with my gross adjusted income. No. So you're not going to pay federal tax rates on that as income. You'll pay capital gains tax rates, which is a flat 15% on the amount that you had in profit over the $250,000 limit. Right. Okay. Okay. So it's 15%, and there really is no way around that in the sense that you're going to pay that either way, uh, you know, no matter what. So the question is then, how do we move forward? And, you know, what opportunities do you have? Uh, you know, to save on taxes, um, you know, you could look at putting some money aside in a Roth IRA. That's not going to give you any kind of tax deduction. uh, And you would have to have earned income in order to be able to do that. Uh, You could look at trying to, you know, bunch your giving uh, if you want to you know, get above the standard deduction and try to itemize your taxes, which would give you the ability if you could do, let's say, multiple years worth of giving into a donor advised fund, claim it all in one year to try to get above the standard deduction and then kind of dole it out over time. You know, you could look at something like that, but there really aren't any other options with regard to, uh, you know, minimizing that tax. You're just going to have to recognize that 15% uh, in the year that you sold it. And there's no way to defer that or, you know, cut that down in any way. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. So uh, I just need to go ahead and and bite the bullet and pay that amount, huh? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. The good news is you get to keep 85% of it and that first 250000 you pay zero. So relatively speaking, given all the, given all the gains that you're going to have in this property, uh, you know, I think it's a fairly small price to pay. I realize nobody likes to write any kind of check to the government if we don't have to, uh, but it is symptomatic of God's provision. And I think uh, the 15% on that amount over, uh, you know, 250000 is a relatively small price to pay. So we always ought to be looking for ways to minimize that. And if you can find some ways like the uh, options I mentioned, that's great. But apart from that, uh, you know, I would just go ahead and set that portion aside, be ready to pay that, work with your tax preparer to make sure you are getting that gain as low as possible. And what I mean by that is make sure you're counting any kind of improvements that enhance the value of the property uh, over time that could reduce uh, that gain, look at opportunities 
opportunities to claim any kind of expenses, certainly related to the sale, uh, to reduce that gain. That's where a tax preparer, I think, could be really beneficial to you. But once you get to that final number, uh, you are going to pay that flat 15%. To the extent you have that uh, money available to do something with, then I think that's the opportunity to look at you know, what your investing strategy might be. Are you going to redeploy that, Patty, into another home or anything uh, else? Oh, yeah. And that's the problem. It costs so much more to get a home that yeah. that's taking a big chunk out of me trying to buy another house. But I I had to move because of uh, my business. Yeah. And yeah. I just couldn't keep my other house, which is two and a half hours away. So it, it, you can't even put it back in like kind. And you you know, no, if, if it to. were uh, you know a rental property, uh, you could do a 1031 exchange and roll that into another similar rental type property uh, to push that gain out. You would eventually have to recognize it, but you could kind of kick the can down the road. But with your primary residence, that's not an option. So anything above that 250000 you're going to have to uh, just go ahead and set that aside and, and pay that when you pay your taxes for the year. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. Hey, all the best to you, Patty, as you make that move. I know this is not something you're excited about doing, but uh, we'll pray that the Lord gives you that right home as you uh, get closer to your place of business. Thanks for checking in with us. God bless you. Uh, Let's see. Tennessee. Ed, you're next on the program. Go ahead. Yes. Hello. Um, I'm 83 years old and uh, once said, uh, put money away in your house store cash to your house. Do you agree with that? And if you do, how much? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I like to not overdo this. Uh, I mean, I certainly understand the wisdom in it, and it's fine to keep uh, some cash at home. I think you ought to think about the purpose of the money. Uh, you know, in my situation, I would be thinking about perhaps a bank networking glitch of some kind. It's unlikely, but if there was some sort of temporary disruption in the financial system or your particular banking network, uh, it would likely be short-lived. So I would probably think in terms of up to two weeks worth of expenses in cash. That's generally the way that I would look at it. If you want to be more conservative, you know, you could think in terms of extending the number of weeks, but I would have some rationale behind why you're doing it and, uh, you know, kind of target a specific amount based on that. Because in my view, getting, you know, well beyond that is, you know, a bit overdone. Um, So, you know, how does that feel to you, Ed, in terms of thinking about why you would do it and then kind of backing into a specific amount? Well, I don't really know. I have to think about it. Another thing is, are we going to have electronic money at the end of the year? No. Uh, Basically, the Biden administration asked the Treasury to look at a central bank digital currency. They did. They issued a report. Uh, You know, the report was favorable as to the benefits. I would question that. Uh, longer term, but uh, they certainly don't want to see the cryptos continue to accelerate, although a lot of this uh, recent crypto meltdown, I think, is going to squelch a lot of that. But I think it's only a matter of time before we'll have a digital currency that's backed by the U.S. Central Bank, but it's not going to happen anytime soon. It's years off, certainly not by the end of the year. Ed, thanks for listening and calling, sir. God bless you. That's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. MoneyWise Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and MoneyWise Media. I want to say thank you to Jim, Amy, Dan, and Gabby. And thank you for being here as well. Hope you'll come back and join us next time for another edition of MoneyWise Live. We'll see you then.